And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Today, we are turning our focus to Portland. I am joined by Ryan Clark of the Oregonian. He's here to discuss all of his recent reporting around the Portland Thorns and Timbers front office, plus new <laughs> a new story about an investigation into how Portland handled a 2015 investigation of their own following Monashim's complaint about former head coach Paul Riley. There's a lot to discuss there that we are, are also, fortunately, going to talk a little bit about soccer as well, but we've got a lot to dig into First, Full Time with Meg Linehan is presented by Klarna, the new smart way to pay when you shop online for tickets, team, merch, and more. Before we get to the rest of today's episode, you can show your support of Full Time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage, all of our women's sports coverage, and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and on our app. You can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full time. It is always our very best deal, and right now that means a dollar a month. Let's get to the news. Now, we are fully in the international break, so things have slowed down slightly, and and I realize, as I say that, that I have just doomed us all, but there is still a lot to cover from last week. This is not a comprehensive collection of the news by any stretch, but here we go. Free agency has begun in the NWL, and to try and summarize everything that happened, even with just the launch of it alone, would take up an entire episode. Hopefully, by the time arbitration ends on this issue, we might actually have one. Here's the big news item. The league and the Players Association disagree on who actually qualifies for this under the CBA. And that list includes some major players that could really test the market, like Dabinia. That's a pretty big name. Steph and I wrote what we hope is a comprehensive explainer for everything that you need to know about free agency, the players involved, the dispute, and what happens next. You can check the show notes to the link for the link for that story. Speaking of league roster rules, on Wednesday, the league announced that they themselves, as a professional league, (laughs) had signed a player to a contract. It's a new one for us, too. The NWSL signed FSU's Emily Madrill to a contract through 2025, and there is honestly a, a pretty easy explanation as to the why for this maneuver. She's heading to Sweden to play through the end of the year, but the league needed to figure out a way for her to return to the NWSL and go through the usual mechanisms without foregoing her eligibility. So signing her to a contract as the league means that she can play abroad and then come back and go through the 2023 NWSL draft to figure out which team she's actually going to land at. It is not exactly an elegant solution, we'll put it that way, but now the NWSL does actually have a mechanism to perhaps retain some top NCAA talent, but still allow them to get some playing time in Europe, Mexico, wherever they might actually choose to go for some games. It's really just a matter of the calendar year not really working in their favor. Again, we're probably going to see this get ironed out a little bit more, but it is actually kind of an interesting solution for what could have been a, a much larger problem. All right, a lot of international, a lot of action in the NWL right before the international break, with the Wave reclaiming the top spot on the NWL table. Alex Morgan scoring her 13th goal of the season. Mal Pugh popping off with two goals and two assists, and Megan Rapinoe taking her shirt off, but you know, also scoring a goal and adding an assist for the rain too. Now, all of this and plenty more in the weekly column from me and Steph. Again, link in the show notes as per usual. But there was maybe one story that got attention for all of the wrong reasons at the match that I was at in New Jersey on Sunday, it certainly appeared that Gotham FC had scored the first goal of the game with Ifeon Amanu getting the ball across the line after a dominant opening at home for, for Gotham FC. Instead, 
the team somehow was awarded a corner kick. Now, to say that it was puzzling is an understatement. We saw plenty of commentary over how wrong the call was. Um, Some good snark. Abby Arceg, in particular, had a pretty good tweet on this front. But this week, Pro, the organization that oversees the rest for the NWL and other leagues, issued a statement which said, quote, an egregious officiating error was made, unquote, as the match officials misjudged where the ball had crossed the goal line and wrongly awarded a corner kick. Now, notably, it ends by stating the officials evolved, involved in this error have been removed from their next pro assignments. Now, we know that we've got improvements to the officiating situation. They're coming to the league in 2023. There's promised investment on this front. The refs are also forming a union, which is a very necessary and needed step to help. But it is also, I think, at least a good small step to see this level of accountability and a statement like this come through, though it might not be quite as comforting as Gotham would have liked because had that goal counted, would Angel City have scored three? We'll never know. All right, very quickly, we are back to U.S. Women's National Team games in the full international window. One roster note, Trinity Rodman is going to miss these two upcoming friendlies due to a family commitment. She has been replaced on the roster by Racing Louisville's Savannah DeMello. Also at the second match, we will have our second CBA signing of the year. The U.S. Soccer Federation, the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, and the U.S. National Soccer Team Players Association, that's the one for the men, will sign the CBAs on the field immediately following the Women's National Team match against Nigeria at Audi Field. All right, finally, here's how you can watch the two upcoming games against Nigeria. The The team is currently in Kansas City. Honestly, when I wrote that, there was no pun intended, and then I just realized what I did. For the first of two games, which will be at Children's Mercy Park, Saturday, September 3rd at 1 p.m. Eastern, that match is on Fox, and then they will head to D.C. with the second game on Tuesday, September 6th at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's a strange early time uh, with the game on ESPN2. I'll be in D.C., and then I'm off to Seattle for a little project and also the Rain vs. Red Stars game. All right. It's always great to have a fellow writer on the show, though I wish today's guest could be under slightly better circumstances. Ryan Clark is on the Portland Thorns and Timbers beat at the Oregonian, and he's had a couple of major stories back-to-back on the PTFC organization. First, on August 14th, there was his investigation into what former employees called a toxic working environment at the club, especially for women and working mothers. Then this week, he had extensive details on an investigation regarding PTFC's handling of their 2015 investigation of former head coach Paul Riley's conduct with the Thorns, stemming from our report here at The Athletic last year. There is obviously a lot to cover here, so let's bring Ryan in right now. So, Ryan, I have so much to talk to you about, and it's funny because we just recorded on your podcast, and I feel like we still have so much more to cover, but I did want to start by honestly just taking a big step back and asking you because you came into this role in February, right? Yeah. So you're walking into being a beat reporter for the Oregonian for Portland Thorns and Portland Timbers and kind of this organization. And all of this stuff has already happened off the field. Like what is your <laughs> journey, I guess, to how you approach covering this team because obviously for most beat writers it's you know you're trying to follow a team on the field and tell all these stories and in Portland obviously there's so much more going on and and you kind of I guess knew what you were getting into so what what were those first few months like for you uh well the first story that I did was about the Andy Polo situation that was the very first story on the beat it was like hey go uh, request this police report from Washington County here in Oregon, your home county, uh, and, and get some information about what happened with this uh, incident involving a former Portland Timbers player uh, communicating with the club, trying to balance, you know, introductions, speaking to them like, hey, I'm the I'm the new person that's going to be the beat writer. But also, can you give me some information on this serious off field incident? And it was a really like kind of a, a shock to the system way to, to start a, a new job. I was very excited, obviously, being at the first opportunity for me to cover two professional teams uh, full time. And, and so, you know, I was excited to tell those stories, but this type of stuff has obviously been at the forefront from the beginning. And, and it's something that even as a beat writer, even as you 
try to build these relationships and tell these great, exciting, positive stories about the club and, and the players and, and the personalities. Uh, you can't ignore this stuff. This, this is something that is, is, to me, as a beat writer, essential as, as far as coverage goes. What has it been like trying to build relationships? Because I just I, I even remember, you know, having conversations in Portland and kind of that frustration that there had been a beat writer at the Oregonian and then there wasn't a beat writer. And, you know, I think that they were kind of desperate for that, you know, day to day person who could be around. And then obviously, again, like you're walking in and in a very different environment, I think, in terms of what a team is ever going to be looking for a reporter to cover. Right. You know, the, the club was very excited when I came on and uh, talked to me at length about the opportunities to to be one of the primary storytellers of, of this club. Um, and then so there's balancing that and building those relationships with the obvious things that, you know, people who are in the front office, who are in positions of power um, may potentially be uncomfortable with. Um, and, and so fr- from the beginning, I, I've worked really hard to maintain a transparent and honest relationship with people uh, in the PTFC front office and media relations, because um, if I'm coming at it from, from an honest standpoint and from, you know, an understanding that this is part of my job, even if it's something that might be negative, might be something the team might not like, uh, and that this is not my sole focus that obviously I have a holistic view of, of things and, and, strive to tell the positive and, and exciting stories about the team as well and cover the soccer itself, like the actual games, you know, yeah, there, are, a concept, right? there are soccer games happening, you know, <laughs> with these two teams. And, and uh, one of them is, is on their way to potentially uh, being the NWSL champions this year. I mean, we're talking about a um, club in the Portland Thorns. That's one of the most exciting uh, women's sports brands in the world. And so you have to have to spotlight them as much as you possibly can and then work work as hard as you can to cover what the timbers are doing as well um it's a balancing act for sure not gonna lie it's it's definitely um a a trial by fire for somebody who's who's young and and trying to establish themselves uh in in a beat yeah i mean i feel like coming from my viewpoint being a national writer it feels like there's that constant, like, I have so much to wrap my arms around and I'm always going to be losing things. But in terms of one single person on a beat, Portland might be one of the biggest assignments you can probably get either in MLS or NWSL, but I think in just in American soccer in general. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's just given how, how much is, is happening on and off the field. And, and the fact that these two clubs exist under the same umbrella um, is, is reason enough for there to absolutely be at least one person doing this. I've been lucky to, to have people provide their outside perspective on these issues, like our columnist, Bill Orem, who recently started, and he's been able to provide some of the analysis that I can't as somebody who, um, has to remain objective on these issues and and strives to do so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a full, full-time job to, to keep up with these, these two teams and everything else for sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's, let's get into, I want to start with this week's story because I think it is a little more immediate right at the moment. And before we even kind of get down into what all of this investigation stuff means first, I was just hoping that you could explain to people what DLA Piper is, and then maybe the scope of the investigation that your story was about this week. Right. So DLA Piper is a, is a large multinational law firm that um, often works with large corporations and companies uh, at looking at internal issues, uh, among many, many other things. As a large international law firm, they represent a number of different clients. But they are were contracted by the Portland Timbers and Thorns organization known as PTFC to look into the 2015 issues, uh, or rather the investigation involving Paul Riley, um, and and determine what they did right and wrong was essentially the, the task they were given. Mm-hmm. We don't know the full scope exactly based on the information the Oregonian has of what they were assigned to investigate, but that's the, the broad strokes of it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So what, when they come in there, this investigation is paid for by PTFC Portland, right? right? 
who do who are they talking to as part of this investigation? Because I think this is a really important thing to like get at the start of this conversation before we move into what the findings are. Right. So as mandated by by the NWSL and US soccer, they were not allowed to talk to current or former players. That's that's something that for any organization that may be doing an investigation like this internally, uh, that's required across the league. Um, and they couldn't talk to Paul Riley. They couldn't talk to his former coaches. Uh, and, and that limits the scope in many ways to where you really you can speak to the executives. You can speak to people who are on staff at the organization at the time, if they're willing to speak, some were not. Um, and you, you find your best judgment based out of that, but there do come up scenarios where, you know, on their face, an investigation may not seem as thorough as it could be, uh, when, when you're only speaking to one person in a situation where there were three, four or five or more people in a room, you know, so, so there's a lot of limitations there, but they, um, in, in the words of the lawyer that gave a presentation to, to PTFC staff back in January, they did the best they could in their view uh, in, in terms of doing the investigation with the limitations they had. Okay. So what I do think is really interesting about this is I think we've always known that we're going to have multiple investigations coming out of September last year, following the athletic reporting about Paul Riley, that there was a, a Portland thing in theory happening, the NWCL, NWCL PA investigation, and then U.S. soccer, which is being led by Sally Yates. So there are these kind of competing things that have to exist at the same time, but are not necessarily completely overlapping, which does make sense, I guess. What is the main takeaway that you think people should have from the DLA Piper PTFC investigation into this? I think there are, are some major points that that are continuations of conversations that we've we've had before about this issue and are um, new revelations that I, I think add depth to, to this situation. Um, the, the first most important thing among them um, would be involving Gavin Wilkinson, the the GM of of the Portland Timbers and Thorns. Uh, he has, for the, the most part throughout this process been the target of the most criticism among fans of the Portland Timbers and Thorns and and NWSL fans uh, largely. And in the view of DLA Piper, uh, he had no involvement whatsoever with, with the Paul Riley situation. Uh, There was a specific incident involving Mana Shim and her sexuality where she uh, in your story claimed that uh, Gavin Wilkinson was trying to silence her for her sexuality. He claims now, uh, based on his conversation with DLA Piper, that that was a misunderstanding and he didn't really know what polyamory was at the time. And so the tweet that he saw um, at confused him in his view. Now, the challenge uh, for, for him going forward is how does that flesh out for the remainder of the, of the U.S. soccer and, and, and WSL investigation? Do they, when they speak to former players and current players, do they hear something different? Do they, do they get more than DLA Piper did in that regard? Uh, but based on this, uh, the club feels like he's been vindicated really for, for being the target of a lot of that criticism. Uh, additionally, you know, you, you look at the um, other primary points of the story. Uh, DLA Piper praised PTFC for, for the way it handled the investigation uh, based on the standards at the time in 2015. They, they made sure to emphasize that, you know, this was pre me too, that this was a time when investigations were conducted differently than they are in 2022. You're talking about strategies like trauma informed questioning um, and being more sensitive or knowledgeable of issues like grooming, uh, which was at the time, not nearly as as prominent in the public lexicon. Now, that does not mean those issues did not very much exist and have not, had not existed <laughs> I was gonna say, for decades. As a Boston native, right? Like spotlight, you know. But also, I think the Boy Scouts. You know, it it's not these that issues it have been exist. around forever. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's just you know that doesn't hold as much water to me as, as a lot of of the other um, descriptions because you know you you can say it was seven years ago, but 
these issues have existed for a very long time. And, you know, it's important, I think, that the club is admitting that they uh, did not do enough based on this in- investigative report. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to balance saying that you didn't do enough with also saying, well, it was seven years ago. Right. So mm-hmm. um, it, it can't be both. It has to it has to in terms of accountability, accountability sounds different than that uh, generally. So we'll see, obviously, what the, the club's messaging is They are They are not, um, you know, for posterity's sake, they are not commenting publicly at all on this yet, because right. this this was information that um, was made public through our reporting. And and so uh, they they will not be making any sort of statement about these issues until uh, the NWSL and U.S. soccer wrap their stuff up. Right, right. And I, I do think that the the other part of this, too, that I was really struck by is that DLA Piper is saying, OK, yes, Portland, you did handle the investigation as we view it as through this the lens of this particular investigation well. But the other part of it is NWSL knew, right? And and part of this was in the athletic story. Like we knew Jeff Plush was on these emails. The the very nature of the NWSL at that time, it was under the soccer of US um, uh, US soccer. And so we we did have the sense of NWSL and US soccer would have been fully aware of this investigation what had happened. But there is this kind of sense from your story and then from from DLA Piper of in the move of, you know, Riley being let go and publicly not necessarily having any sort of commentary, like they let people believe that was for results. He goes to Western New York and DLA Piper seemed to have the sense of ultimately that should have fallen to the league or U.S. soccer in order to notify anyone who was going to hire him after Portland. Right. Right. And, um, you know, a, a source with knowledge of the situation told me that, you know, the, the conversations that happened between Gavin Wilkinson and, and Aaron Lyons from the Western New York flash were legally required to stick to just on field matters. Now, from a moral perspective and from a, you know, holistic perspective, it is vital that a club like Western New York now uh, North Carolina courage um, would review the the full picture with him and, and not just stick to, to whatever the limitations of that conversation were uh, the, the question and, and what will be answered as, as more information comes out through these, these investigations with NWSL it's PA and us soccer is, is where was the disconnect? Did Western New York know at the time of hiring Paul Riley, the full breadth of issues that he was fired for in Portland. And and it's important to note that he was fired for cause for violating his, his employment contract. It wasn't just a let him, let him go type of situation um, as it was portrayed publicly at the time. Um, Did they know that information? Did North Carolina previously Western New York know that information at the time of hiring him? Uh, and did they choose to, to overlook that in favor of keeping a, a, a man around in the sport who engaged in behavior that um, really traumatized the women that played for him and, and created a reputation for him around the league? Yeah. I mean, my, my question reading that part of it was really just, I don't know how you divorce a uh, coach's approach to coach. I mean, even setting aside the Monashim investigation, right. In terms of everything that players reported from that time to me for the, the story in the athletic about the approach to coaching in a locker room with the, the yelling and uh, focus on on appearance and weight and all like there's a lot of things that I think could probably still be raised in the scope of what is he like as a coach is he a good coach without necessarily even getting into behaders that would have been covered strictly under that investigation so exactly. I think yeah and then that those conversations that that allegedly happened between Gavin Wilkinson and Aaron Lyons uh you know, Wilkinson expressed no concerns about him as a coach. So you have to think, you know, um, 
how have attitudes changed as far as like what behaviors are accepted yes uh from, yeah. from a from a successful and quality soccer coach and um you know that that's been a, a big part of of this too and, and a big part of what dla piper discussed is like if this happened in 2022 how would the investigation have been handled differently and how would the outcomes have been different right but hindsight is 2020 at the end of the day so you have to um take what was done learn from it and move forward in in a way that is, does service to to really the victims of of this situation as you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I want to go back to your other story from earlier in this month because that one was much more about the front office and some of the behavior there. And, you know, again, I, I went on your podcast around the time of that story and we we talked a lot about kind of a, a more, you know, the bigger context of the PTC, uh, PTFC organization. And now, I guess, after this story, um, have you changed your views, I guess, on how maybe what has been happening? You know, the 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 first story really talked about this reported environment from former employees about a toxic work environment at the club, especially for women and working mothers. Right. That was really the two groups that were under focus. And so you have this story, the the investigation, which is saying, OK, you, you got it right in 2015. We've learned more about how to do it in 2022. But how do these two stories now, do they connect for you in a different way than they did maybe a couple of weeks ago? I, I think it, it's part of a larger narrative that things have in this club not been up to the standards that they, that they claim to live by in the last several years. And that, that's a, something that they, in many cases, have admitted and, and, claim to to want to be better to to make these strides and and 
improve as a club while also acknowledging that they've done X, Y, and Z as far as uh, off-field involvement uh, and um, being pillars in the community as far as community service and uh, advocating for women and the LGBT community um, and other marginalized groups. But you, you look at the sum of, of the parts right now, the sum of the issues that uh, PTFC has had over the last several years. You have the Paul Riley situation, how they handled that. And in their own uh, future admission, uh, they will likely talk about how they made mistakes, as, as Merritt Paulson already has uh, in, in his letter to fans. Um, the Andy Polo situation, which um, the MLS issued a small fine for, but really uh, people don't feel like the, the club was fully um, honest and accountable for its actions in that regard. Uh, and, and you have these issues with the workplace and, and those things all build up into what uh, a lot of people in the, in the fan communities perceive it as a pattern, as, as people who are in power in this club, which is beloved and revered in this community both teams have incredible attendance and among the most passionate fan bases in American soccer. And they are wrestling with these moral questions of, of how can I continue to, to support the club when yes, they are taking these steps to, to be better, but there still are these mistakes that have been made. Mm -hmm. And the way that the club has reacted in some of these cases has been in a defensive manner, um, which, you know, the view of, of a handful of, of fans who um, are really frustrated with the club, it, it just makes things look worse from an optics standpoint. Uh, building that bridge, healing the divide between the, the fans and the front office is something that's going to be um, the greatest challenge of Merritt Paulson's tenure here in Portland. Um, they have worked to, to meet with people in person, have town halls, have conversations, uh, and some satisfied and, and, um, the question now remains for, for the club, what does accountability look like going into the future? Uh, does it mean having the same individuals in the front office that you've had for so many years, some of whom have, have made some of these direct mistakes um, or does it mean, you know, holistic organizational change? And that's what some people have, have called for uh, in the community activists and uh, people who've protested at games and, and segments of the fan base. Um, so, so they have to think fans do about what accountability looks like and also how they personally react because one of the great criticisms that, the Timbers army and the Rose city riveters have faced in their response to this is, well, you know, you're still putting money in their pockets, right? You're right. still showing up in droves to these games. Uh, the Seattle game was a sellout and was a raucous, fun, awesome atmosphere. Uh, the thorns continue to be one of the highest attendance teams in NWSL and, and have been the highest over the, the full decade of the league's existence. Um, and, and so people, on the outside view it as like a one-to-one -one, like well if you want change you should stop supporting them financially but the balance for for fans is like okay well how do i support players that i love how do i make sure that the nwsl continues to grow and and in many ways stay afloat financially if if yeah. Um, well, I mean, the I'm message from players has games. been don't abandon like you don't still have to us. go to games right right and that's I think that is the really complicated part. And I, again, this was something that, that we've talked about previously. And now I think the big question becomes, this is the first kind of domino to fall on the investigation standpoint. And I, I don't think that it is, you know, a complete exoneration by any stretch of, of PTFC in this situation, but it does obviously, I think in its limited <laughs> approach, I think look a little bit more favorably upon them. I mean, even when we were reporting, I, I remember telling people, you know, 
Portland as an organization did not have the full scope of knowledge that we had when we were reporting the story. They did not know what had happened with Philadelphia independence, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, they, didn't, there know, is... they didn't know anything about what happened to Sinead Farley. Exactly. Either. So I, I came think... out through this investigation. As well. Right. So I, I think that there is a little more nuance here. And I think that there is still a lot to come in terms of the NWCL slash NWCLPA and then the U.S. Soccer Sally Yates investigation. But in the meantime, how much do you think people should weigh, you know, this investigation or should maybe, you know, should we all kind of be on hold, (laughs) I guess, in terms of, I, I still don't think we know the definitive story, I guess. No, we don't. And, and I, I think people have been on hold for a, a very long time. Just <laughs> about far, a year now. Yeah. <laughs> just about a year now coming up uh, on that uh, since, since your story broke uh, and since, since the floodgates really opened on, on these issues. Um, so people have been waiting a long time. An important detail that came out of this, this was the NWSL saying they hope to have mm-hmm. the full scope of the investigation completed by the end of this year. Um, Fans can cross their fingers for that to be the case. There are a great many potential roadblocks that could uh, result in that not being the case. Uh, I I think that it's important that fans um, and interested parties look at this information, trust that it's verified and accurate and understand that it's also not the whole picture. It is a very limited scope internal investigation by an entity that uh, in its own admission uh, wants to protect the club first and foremost, and also get to the truth of what it did right and wrong at the time in 2015. The basic elements are there. The broad strokes are there as far as what PTFC did right and wrong at the time. And the gaps will likely be filled in by what is remaining, which is the uh, NWSLPA investigation and the U.S. soccer investigations. Just really quickly, one more on on this, because I do actually want to talk to you uh, at least a little bit about soccer, because that is, in in theory, what we both are supposed to be covering. But yes, what is what is the general vibe in Portland right now? Because I, I do think that there is kind of a layer of exhaustion, maybe a little bit to, to everyone at this point. But, you know, to your point, the the Timbers Sounders game like looks like, you know, old school Portland, though, you know, I, to be fair, I only vaguely followed this on Twitter, but Sounders fans wanted to do a protest approach Timbers army. There seemed to be a strange disconnect there. Like, is the is the vibe like we want to actually try to move forward together? Yes. I I think that fan groups, um, you know, there's a level of um, acknowledgement, I think, at this point. And I don't mean to speak on behalf of those fan groups. They would do a better job than than I would of articulating this. But I think there is a general desire, at least from what I've seen, uh, for uh, the fan groups and, and the front office to move forward in a productive way because, at this point, it's clear to them and it's, it's clear to me and, and to the general public that the, the type of large sweeping organizational changes, the um, toppling of a, the front office regime that, that some uh, in, in fan circles have, have fantasized about in some ways uh, is not really going to happen. And so how do you move forward with, with, uh, honesty and integrity uh, with people who have made mistakes, uh, very public mistakes uh, and hold them accountable moving forward is is the question. That's not to say that the Timbers army or the Rose city rivers have given up on their values or, or compromised their integrity in any way in order to appease the front office. I think that that's disingenuous and, um, I've, I've seen some of that stuff on social media since the Seattle game. And I just, there's no truth to it. These are people having grown up in this city in Portland who are deeply socially conscious, uh, proud of, of where they grew up, wanting to be inclusive. P- 
people uh, and and bring people of all backgrounds into the fold, into this fan group and, and be able to enjoy the soccer while not feeling this constant sense of existential dread, right? About, about who doesn't love existential club. dread with their soccer. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Ryan. It's, That's true. it's kind get, of the entire vibe of the NWSL. It, it is kind of a, a built-in layer of, of the fandom for sure. But, you know, to a level where it, it causes this, this kind of anguish, you know, that people are experiencing, they're sick of it, you know, and, and Twitter is not real life, but I don't mean to ascribe the feelings of people on Twitter to, to the entirety of the fan base. I think there's a good portion of fans who are minimally aware of these issues or they are aware of them and they just don't really care. Um, but if you look at Twitter as a prison of the fan base, um, it's, it's really a lot of upset and emotionally devastated people who love, love, love these players. They love watching Sophia Smith just scorch other teams in the NWSL. They love the ageless wonder Christine Sinclair still balling out uh, and playing 90 minutes. They love, um, you know, Sebastian Blanco and his adorable family uh, coming out on the field after Timbers games and uh, holding up log slabs with him. They love the experience of, of this club and, and what it means as, as a cultural icon in this community and having to balance that with these issues has been really hard for them. And, and I think that that, you know, when the front office deals with these issues and, and they understandably feel like they are being criticized in some ways unfairly, they also have to take into account the emotional toll that their mistakes and their potential inaction on these issues is taking on the people that love their club and that continue to support them uh, and are the reason why this club has the reputation it does. All right. So you mentioned Sophia Smith, you mentioned Christine Sinclair. Let's talk a little bit about the Thorns currently in fourth place as we head into this international break, a couple of losses um, back to back, including the one against San Diego, which is obviously pretty important and in terms of the playoff picture coming up. But what is, I guess maybe to you, like what is the thing that no one's talking about Portland right at the moment? Because I, it feels to me like somehow Portland has kind of been almost underrated this season, despite being in second or for like, they've just kind of been existing and I don't know. It, it's felt like a very different approach to Portland this year. Yeah, I think there's a lot of these kind of shiny, exciting objects in NWSL this year that have distracted from from the old stalwart of, of Portland, right? Like you have Alex Morgan tearing it up down in San Diego and leading an expansion team that is at the top of the table, which is yeah. in, incredible. Right. Uh, and, and she's one of the game's great superstars. You have Angel City FC setting attendance records and, and um, Kristen Press before her injury was playing incredibly well. Um, you have all these other narratives and the drama with the Washington spirit situation, which is a very serious off field issue that, that has been covered at length by you and others in the last several weeks. Uh, but there's all these things that, that um, made direct attention away from, from the thorns on field product. And from what I've seen from, from my vantage point as somebody who's, who's watched essentially every thorns game this year, uh, I believe they're the most complete team in NWSL. They're deep. They um, are well coached. I think Rian Wilkinson in her first year, despite the pressures of coming into a huge job with a ton of talent on her team, uh, has done very well. Last couple games, she's faced some criticism, but it's been the only bad stretch of their season, these last two losses to North Carolina and San Diego. Um, but you know, top to bottom, every position, um, they're deep, they're talented. They have this, this talisman and Sophia Smith that, you know, as long as they can, you know, hang on to her and not let her slip through their fingers, they, they are going to want to, because she, she is a legit superstar in her sport. And, and it's an exciting team that's fun to watch and they score goals, uh, better than anybody. They've got the largest goal differential in the league still by a pretty healthy margin, um, so they believe they can finish at the top of the table and, and more this year. And, and based on what I've seen, I, I believe them. 
I want to talk to you also about Sam Coffey, who is, you know, I think we've had a lot of debate about rookie of the year. Um, Deanna Ordonia is obviously leading the way in goal scoring. You have Naomi Gurma um, immediately stepping in as a center back in the NWSL and looking as if she's been playing in the league for five years. But, you know, I personally have a real thing for good defensive midfielders, and that is also not a very easy position to step in and play in your first year in the NWSL. What have you seen from her watching her in person? Uh, she's great. Her her ability to connect play is, is among the best, if not the best, on this team. Uh, she... She stepped right in and, and you talked about other other players looking like they've been veterans in the league for, for so long. Uh, and Vladko Andonovsky has, has even said this publicly uh, when she had uh, a cup of coffee, no pun intended, with the, with the U.S. women's national team. Um, you know, she connects so well and she, and she plays beyond her ears. There's a maturity. Her passing percentage is sky high. I think it's still among the best in NWSL statistically. Um, she, she's just a really solid player and, and that feels like almost an embarrassment of riches for the a Thorns team, right? They, they're forced to, to play this rookie in this important position, right? And she turns out to just be this excellent presence consistent throughout the season for them. And, um, I, I think she's definitely someone that you have to consider for rookie of the year, just because of her her steadiness and, and how important she's been to, to what they do so far. I've, I've been thoroughly impressed with her and, you know, she, she comes from good stock and in, in that her family is sports writers. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I have to have to give that shout. Her, her dad uh, was a longtime writer and then her, her sister covers the Philadelphia Phillies, Alex coffee. Yep. Yep. Um, former so, athletic writer too. Yes, former athletic so, yeah, writer, she wrote yeah, a whole so. story about watching her sister get drafted for the athletic, which I thought was you know, we don't we don't always get that perspective as sports writers. So it was really fun no, to no, see really, that. Really cool. So yeah. beyond the fact that she's a great interview because she comes from that stock. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. The know, standards are gonna be high. Yeah, she's she's got a she's got a good quote for sure. Yeah. Uh, but she's she's an excellent player and I, I think somebody that's integral to what they do. All right. There are five games left for Portland. Have I got that right? Yes. What what is the one that you think is gonna be key? in terms of getting Portland maybe into shield consideration into at least hosting a, a home playoff game? I think the, uh, you know, it's just so tight in the NWSL standings right now that, that every <laughs> it is, single It game, is a crazy table. It's point. nuts. I mean, I mean, we're at a point now where you, you pretty much want to win every single game and that might not even get you there if you're the Thorns, which is crazy to think about, but is true based on where things stand. Um, what strikes me as, as the most important game is when they go on the road to uh, Kansas city. I think that Kansas city has been so hot lately uh, is, is one of the um, better teams in the league and, and is starting to come into its own. Uh, we've, we've seen the charts of where they were in the standings and how they've steadily climbed, yeah. climbed, climbed. <laughs> their, their unbeaten streak is definitely one of the, the big ones in the league for sure. Right. Yeah. And Port- Portland had a similar one. So that, that game going on the road and, and doing what Portland did in that game against the spirit, getting three points in, in a tough road match uh, as Portland did a couple weeks ago um, is something they're going to have to do again, because that that's a team that is right there with you, right above you now, one point above you in, in the standings. Um, that's the biggest one for me. And, and the rest I mean, you, you got to think you you want three points out of every single one of them. You play Orlando prior to that. You play uh, Racing Louisville, Chicago Red Stars, and Gotham to finish it off. You'd like to think that, you know, if you can get yourself in a, in a good enough position by the Gotham game, maybe that Gotham game provides an opportunity to rest some players. But with right. things being as tight as they are, I, I don't yeah. know if you have any room to breathe until the very final whistle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think like every point counts at the, to your point, you know, the fact that they are exactly one point behind Kansas city and Houston, right. They're three points behind the wave, but they are only a single point ahead of the rain, two points ahead of Chicago, three points ahead of angel city. I mean, it is just, this is arguably, I think one of the tightest 
playoff races we've ever seen in this league, which is going to make it, I think, really exciting between now and the start of October, but also yeah. probably really stressful <laughs> if you're... It's going to be stressful. I mean, you know, the the concept that this Thorns team, as complete and talented and deep as they are, has a non-zero chance of missing the playoffs based on how the standings are <laughs> is absolutely nuts and, and speaks to just the, the level of chaos and excitement that comes with this league. So, so fans... Uh, of all the teams that are that are in the hunt uh, are definitely going to have a lot of fun stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. Yeah, perfect. All right, Ryan, um, how about you tell folks how they can follow you and follow your work? Yes, so you can find my work at OregonLive.com. We cover the Thorns and the Timbers uh, as extensively as as we can on there. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Ryan T. Clark. That's Clark with an E. Anybody that spells it different, uh, don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> and and uh, we have a podcast as well, Soccer Made in Portland. It's available, uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you, you get them. Myself and Chris Reifer, who is a really analytical uh, soccer nut uh, who used to be a blogger and covers the covered the Timbers and Thorns. Uh, he hosts that with me, and it's a great time. So if, if there's another podcast I could uh, – most recommend to, to NWSL fans, specifically Thorns fans, it would be that one. Perfect. All right, Ryan. Well, I appreciate all the time and you breaking down the the news articles that you've you've had. Obviously, big investigations, and um, obviously, everyone should should follow along, follow the work, and appreciate everything that you're doing out there in Portland. Of course, thank you for having me on, Meg. Thank you to Ryan. There are links to all of the relevant articles from him at the Oregonian in the show notes if you need to read them still. All right, one more thing. I've got a few notes on some women's sports, not women's soccer coverage at The Athletic. Obviously, the WNBA playoffs are in full swing. RIP New York Liberty. Uh, Chantel is leading the way for us on that coverage, but we are hiring a women's basketball writer. I've got a link to the job listing in the show notes if you think that it should be you. Also, The Athletic has expanded our women's hockey coverage. I'm obviously extremely excited about this, with Haley and Shayna covering all of the angles from the IIHF Women's Worlds right now. The U.S. beat Canada in the preliminary stages 5-2. Hillary Knight scored a goal. My nerves are still shot, but the kids have looked good. I've got some story links for you in the show notes as well. This is going to be the longest show notes (laughs) we've ever had here at Full Time. All right, for all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information. And again, if you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer and women's sports coverage, that link is theathletic.com slash fulltime. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Again, it's going to be a very, very interesting September ahead for me with some work travel also uh, moving. So yeah, it, it should be a, a fun and interesting time on social media. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer here at The Athletic, Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.